0: Welcome to Green City, a podcast focused on sustainability. I'm your host, Lene Marty Henson. We invite you to listen in on our conversations for positive change. It is my hope that we can all come away with something that resonates within our own lives and inspires us to action within our own communities. Let's start where we are and find ways to work together to create more connected, more vibrant, and indeed, more sustainable communities. Join us each week as we learn from each other. We continue our discussion on water with our third show in this series, focusing on the impact water has on our health. In this four-part series, we are having conversations with experts around Iowa on the impact water quality issues have, on various key aspects of our everyday living. Joining us this morning are Alicia Vasto, the Water Program Associate Director for the Iowa Environmental Council and my co-host for this series. And with us this morning is Brian Honif. Correct me, did I say that right?
1: You said that right, that's good. Okay,
0: okay. Um, Director of the Department of Public Health for Cerro Gordo County, which is the Mason City area. And I thank you both for joining us this morning on this critical topic. You're welcome. So let's start things off with, Brian, you telling us in your own words a little bit about your journey to this point and how you got into the realm of public health.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, so again, my name is Brian Honoff. Um, I've worked in public health for um, coming up on twenty eight years. Um, and I'm a I'm an Iowa guy. Um, grew up in the Waverly area. Um, <clears throat> attended the University of Northern Iowa and uh, needed to do an internship. Um, and as part of that, I did that with the local public health agency, uh, actually doing water quality. Uh, testing doing some water testing in both Blackhawk County and Bremer County um, and you know we would collect a couple thousand samples a year and uh, you know the typical coliform bacteria nitrate testing um, always found that to be uh, very rewarding and very beneficial as I came up through my career um, so you know water quality from the get-go was always very important to you um, you know, just me getting involved in local public health. Uh, I transitioned to another job in Des Moines working in environmental health uh, at, for the Polk County Health Department, attended um, Drake University for a master's degree in public administration and uh, looked forward to getting into some management. So that placed me into the Mason City, Cerro County Department of Public Health. Um, I had known the, the, my predecessor, uh, Ron Ulsterholm, hired me in 2002, and, uh, and I've been here ever since. Um, you know, during my tenure here, we've done some, some, pretty, gr- some pretty great work, uh, and I say we, there's a whole host of people who've been involved in that, but, you know, water quality has always been at the forefront of the work that we've been trying to do and uh, have made some pretty significant strides in um, water programming that uh, focus specifically on arsenic and groundwater uh, and, and the source of that um, of that uh, supply of arsenic that we're finding throughout the state of Iowa. So we researched that uh, at length. But so, yeah, I mean, water quality, groundwater, surface water, that sort of uh, topic in the environmental health world has always been at the forefront of what we do here.
0: And, and that, I mean, I think many of us in Iowa know that the Clear Lake area has had some of the key challenges in that arena so you guys certainly focus on that but is that a focus of public health officials around the state as much or or more, more so in your area do you think
1: so uh, i think more so in this area north iowa north central iowa east northeastern iowa tend to not have as many public water supplies Uh, that are available. So, when I say that, we're talking about rural water supplies. So, you know, your typical acreage that's out in the country is not connected to a rural water supply, um, like you might find in some of the other parts throughout the state. And so, when we're talking about residential water supplies, private water wells in this area, I think we pretty much, we estimate there's well over 3,000 water wells in this county. Uh, many of those wells are significantly older than uh, 19, 1975 and 1980, um, so the, the age of the wells here is certainly something that we want to keep an eye on. And, and um, knowing that, uh, you know we've we've got a we've got an important an important role for providing services to our rural constituents to make sure that the water that they are drinking is is safe. Um, and not just say for nitrates and bacteria, but we also need to continue to monitor for other, um, other potential contaminants that might be on the radar and, you know, arsenic in groundwater was one of those areas that we focused on in, in the late 2000s. Uh, and then 2010 to 2015, uh, we focused exclusively, uh, on arsenic and what the source of that arsenic was. Uh, Saragota County's had the highest recorded arsenic concentration in a public water supply uh, any, than anywhere else in the state at 567 parts per billion. Um, you know, the EPA uh, maximum containment level, if I said that right, the MCL is, uh, is 10. Uh, and I believe in 2005, they dropped that from 50 parts per billion to 10, uh, which, I mean, it's even less uh, of an amount. Uh, for those who don't understand, parts per billion, um, you know, 50 parts per billion is pretty high, 10 parts per billion is a a smaller amount. So it's even more constrictive. And when that happened, we just recognized we had a lot of wells in our area that had elevated arsenic in in certain parts of our county. We didn't have a lot of data, so we needed to look into that. So uh, with funding from the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, about a half a million dollars over five years, it allowed us Really to partner up with some some amazing organizations uh, and partnerships and really dive into that topic and make uh, make headway toward policy change. Ultimately, uh, we saw change in the Grants to Counties program, which is a tax that's applied to all pesticides in Iowa that goes into a fund that's otherwise delegated out to all 99 counties to focus on uh, groundwater and groundwater testing and uh, well plugging and well rehabilitation. So it's an amazing program. I mean, there's been millions and millions of dollars that are put out into the communities every year uh, to focus on those areas. And a lot of those dollars are put to use in, in a lot of our rural areas. Very good.
2: Yeah, and I I think it's an important point um, for people that might not know that private wells are not regulated in the same way as public drinking water systems. So it's really incumbent on the private well owner to get that testing and and do the treatment themselves. And um, if you're not aware of that or aware of the risks, um, then you might not be testing your well regularly. Um, So, you know, with that in mind, I guess I was kind of wondering Um, what have you learned about communicating with the public about private wells and drinking water in particular, when you're trying to go out and, and get people to test their wells?
1: So one of the things that I've learned a great deal, even early on in my career doing water tests, um, and I love doing that by the way, is it's all about relationships. And, and I firmly believe that local public health agencies are perfectly situated. Because we are local, we do work with our constituents locally. They, they see us, they hear from us, uh, they know us. So that when we go out and start knocking on doors and saying, hey, we would like to test your water, um, you know, we still get the occasional, well, what are you gonna do if you find something that is, that's maybe not considered safe? Maybe we find an elevated arsenic or maybe somebody has some nitrate problems. And, you know, when we can stress, we're really not, we're not there to provide any enforcement. We're just trying to provide data and guidance as a public health uh, institution to help people, you know, have have access to a healthier water supply. And we definitely have instances, even on our website, where we've got members of our public who talk and tell their story about how elevated arsenic, for example, uh, has impacted them physically. I mean, we're talking about physical impacts because of long-term exposure to an elevated arsenic. Um, uh, And so some of our colleagues, some of our friends over on South shore, have presented us with a video over time talking about drinking 75 parts per billion of arsenic for continued years where there's neurological issues with uh, the, the one uh, woman, Sandy Davis, and I can say her name because she's very public about it. Again, we have a Facebook uh, and a YouTube video on our website. Uh, people can hear what it's like to have to deal with those exposures. And so, uh, you know, when you find situations like that, and you can really, for a lack of a better way of saying it, drill into a problem and try to come up with some solutions that have real-world implications. Uh, you know, that's that's it's pretty. Um, it's an awesome feeling, at least from the perspective that we're we're just trying to provide a service to the public so that they know that they've got a safe drinking water supply. And so, uh, back to the question that Alicia asked: is is you know we're at a very fortunate um, place at the local level to be able to create those relationships, make ourselves known, and um, I guess be able to sell important services like we do in um, in water quality. And so, um, you know, the same doesn't hold true for, let's just say there's a study that, that someone wants to do with the University of Iowa College of Public Health, you know, to, to, to have somebody show up from Iowa City or somebody show up with a DNR sticker on their door, it it just, I think, has a different connotation uh, than, say, your local public health office. Uh, driving down a long driveway to somebody's rural farm home saying, hey, do you mind if we take a water sample mm-hmm. uh, and send the results back to you? So um, I, I think that's kind of an awesome opportunity for us to be able to take advantage of.
0: Right, right.
2: Are there other issues that you found success in communicating about other environmental health issues in general?
1: Yeah, I I mean, I talk about water quality because I think we've had some of the greatest successes. Um, You know, there's there's also the need to be able to help try to monitor some of the surface water work. Um, So Grants to Counties really focuses a lot on our groundwater supplies. And and not so much of the fiscal resources to be able to help uh, with surface water monitoring, but um, you know I think there is uh, I think there's room for public health to have a play in how we otherwise help monitor some of our surface water supplies um, and how we help promote um, you know general impacts on surface water. Um, and when I say general impacts, I mean, we, we we do know that when we see elevated, you know, large rainfalls that happen in the spring, we might see increased runoff of, you know, herbicides, pesticides, insecticides, that sort of thing. Um, so I think we can, we can do more there. Um, yeah, I mean, we've had a whole host of different other programs where we've really tried to, um, you know, leverage our relationship at the local level uh, and communicate some of the work that we can do, whether it's, Uh, through food safety, whether that's through uh, lead-based paint and, you know, childhood exposures in the work or in the home uh, to lead-based paint and those kinds of things. So, um, again, when you're trying to do some of those projects, like our lead-based paint program that we have funding through the Housing and Urban Development Program, I mean, we offer literally, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to homeowners, and that even could be landlords. Uh, Sometimes it takes time to get that trust built up. And so I use the T word, right? I mean, it really is about building trust so that you can do um, what I think is really cool stuff related to community-based participatory research um, and doing outreach in that capacity. Again, I think local public health is perfectly situated in order to really maximize those opportunities.
0: So that's a perfect segue into our next question. And that's about the Natural Resources and Outdoor Recreation Trust Fund. So we know you're a big advocate of that. Um, and it, just explain to our listeners who many of them are also big advocates why this is so important to you and to our state.
1: Okay. So I'll, I'll first talk about on a, on a personal level. Um, so I do enjoy, um, I do enjoy racing triathlon and, um, obviously the first leg in any triathlon is, 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 is a, the swim leg, and so I do race a lot in the Midwest. And um, so putting my face in some of our surface water supplies, um, I I, I kind of make fun of Iowa's water. I mean, it, it really is. It's it's when you when you dive in and you try to swim across Clear Lake, or you swim in pretty much any other water supply. Most water supplies in Iowa. I mean, it's I kind of kind of correlate it to swimming in a mud puddle. I mean, you can't see your hand in front of your face. Um, and and so when you are racing, it's it's very, very difficult to see where you're going. so you have to learn how to basically sightline without putting with without having your face in the water. Um, you know, if I go up and race in in uh, Lake Michigan, the water quality is significantly better, and I can see uh, I can see the people in front of me, but, Again, I, so on a personal level, I race triathlon, and I don't like necessarily swimming in, in um, you know, murky, muddy water, and that's what we have here. Um, on a on a professional level, um, I, f- I take a lot of ownership in trying to provide, you know, data and information related to water quality. I think, um, again, a lot of those exposures to various programs and really working with the public to get those messages out is, is important. Um, you know, when we really started to dive into this, my colleagues in in public health and environmental health a few years ago, after talking with some of our county conservation partners, um, I just couldn't understand why in God's green earth this is so difficult to try to get past. I mean, when when eighty percent of our of Iowans wanted this program put into place, it's it, I just. I just don't understand why it is so contentious to pass a three eighths of a cent sales tax when 80 plus percent of the state wanted it in the first place. And so I guess I think about what the political fallout is if we pass a three eighths of a cent and it just doesn't make any sense to me. Now, mind you, I say that coming from the fact that I sat on my city council for two terms. Um, And and I know that's not saying much in a town that's only 1400 people, but I I understand politics and I understand, you know, getting votes and, you know, politicians tend to want to stay in office. And again, I look at this and I'm looking at some of the information here in front of me now. And, you know, more than 70 percent of Iowans want this. More than 70 percent of the state are willing to pay three eighths of cent, cent sales tax. To see improvements on our natural resources. And I think it's even more critically important now. I would love to see the numbers if we ran that same survey today, because you know, Iowa, like everyone else in the country, has come through COVID. And COVID has really forced the need to, you know, remain physically distanced. And one way to be able to do that is go outside and enjoy our natural resources you know, last year swimming pools weren't open. So what did people do? Well, people went to our lakes and our rivers and our streams and they enjoyed those natural resources. And and quite honestly, I think that's spilling over to this year, although pools were open, I think people are still enjoying those. And and so to me, it's a draw. It's not only do Iowans really want that, but Iowans are also number one willing to pay for it, but it's also a draw for new businesses and for young people to want to either come to Iowa or stay in Iowa. And enjoy um, enjoy what all we have to offer. So again, it just doesn't make any sense to me why, in God's green earth, uh, people uh, people in our elected uh, positions don't support this, regardless of their uh, political affiliations. Uh, just simply looking at the fact that Iowans want this, yeah.
0: So, real quick, that's our that's our shout out. We've been doing that. I think every show on this series to, to tell our listeners to contact every legislator you know and say you want this, and we'll we'll try to do our part. So, yeah.
1: I, I yeah. would add to that, uh Lene, the other thing I would ch- I would challenge people to do is to reach out to your local board of health. Okay, so Uh, every county in the state has their own local board of health, except for Polk County. And Polk County has a health advisory board, which is made up of their county um, supervisors, Uh, along with, I believe they've got a medical uh, doctor who otherwise provides some consultation in that respect too. But um, if you have not reached out to your local board of health, by all means, do so. And just let them know that you would like their, you would like your local board of health To make a statement, to basically develop a resolution or pass a policy statement in support of Fund the Trust. We know that we've got over 25% of local boards of health who've signed off on on a similar statement like that in the past. And so I would encourage people uh, to reach out to their local board of health chair and ask if they have passed a similar resolution or policy uh, that, that can otherwise be shared with the governor's office. So local board of health chairs can send that down to the governor's office, letting them know um, that they support moving forward with uh, you know, Fund the Trust and, and why. Um, and, and if some of your listeners would like examples of what's been put out there, I have all kinds of examples. People can reach out to me at b h uh, a n f t at cghealth.com. So again, that's B-H-A-N as in Nancy, F as in Frank, T as in toy, at CGHealth.com. And that's short for Sarah Gordo. Um, if people email me, I can I can send them copies of a letter that, that um, can be used by your county board of health.
0: Perfect. Yeah, that's great. So Alicia, in the last like couple minutes, go ahead with another
2: yeah, I guess, um, you know, kind of in addition to <clears throat> um, public health uh, professionals, you know, taking a stance on I will uh, national resources and recreation. Um, do you see any other roles for public health or environmental health professionals in environmental protection or is there any role or should there be in your opinion?
1: Oh, there's oh. there's so much overlap in what it is we're trying to do. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about our agency here, but one of the things that we recognize is that we might be kind of a Jack of all trade master of none kind of thing, but, uh, we focus on this idea that we can be a chief health strategist. And what that basically means is we're not necessarily the lead on all things, public health or environmental health related, but what we can do is try to connect the dots between other Entities and organizations, so that they can also get involved in in some of these important, um, I guess, political discussions or politically charged topics that might otherwise uh, help us move um, move concepts forward. Um, I'm, you know, sticking with water supply and water quality, and knowing that you know we've worked over over time, especially over the last two years during the pandemic, with our uh, with our local businesses, our economic development um, commission, we've worked closely with our chambers of commerce in, in Clear Lake and Mason City. Um, we've definitely worked with our uh, with our businesses directly, trying to provide uh, some support for COVID and COVID response. And so, a lot of that can be can be doubled down as we reach out to our constituents locally and and ask them to kind of take a lead on something if we're not necessarily the 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 poster agency to push an effort forward. Um, so yeah, I mean really it's it's all about relationships. And and like I mentioned, our arsenic project, we sure as heck didn't do that all by ourselves. I mean, we had we had private well drillers. We had the State University of Iowa a hy- le- Hygienic Laboratory on, on board. We had the uh, uh, the Iowa Department of Natural Resources. We had the Center for Health Effects and Environmental Contamination. Pete Wire at the time was on board. Uh, you know, we had a whole host of different organizations on board, and that's what it took to tackle this. And I think, honestly, we've got to have agencies and organizations on board for, um, you know, a safe water supply system, uh, groundwater and surface water to help promote a healthy, vibrant economy that helps draw people in for jobs. Um, and it, I think honestly, by having a safe, good um, you know water system, surface and groundwater system, I think it also lends itself to to the whole housing discussion and the fact that you know you want people to move here be able to find affordable housing, quite honestly, I mean, you look around this country and Iowa's got some of the most affordable housing in the country. Uh, of course, our prices are going up. However, um, you know, we, we've, we've got a great way of life here. It's just we really need to focus on our on our environmental health um, opportunities, uh, because also I think another key point here is the idea of mental wellness. And, you know, access to a good uh, outdoor recreational system, surface water, groundwater, uh, trails, um, you know, nice air, um, you know, just good Iowa um, exposure to activities I think lends itself to a better mental health structure and system. So, uh, you know, I would put in a a shout out to our colleagues over at the Iowa's Healthiest State Initiative and Jamie Haverhill's crew, you know, They've, they've also got some really great messaging out there based on uh, mental health and accessing um, outdoor recreational spaces. So it's funny how we all kind of overlap, but I I hope to, I hope to the good Lord that we can all work together during this legislative session and try to make some headway.
0: Very good. Well, we are out of time, but I'm going to take your, your last final word of wisdom and, and, narrow it down to it's all about relationships. I think that kind of sums it all up and what you've been saying throughout this. So thank you so much, um, Brian, for joining Alicia and I today. Um, You're doing great things up there and we're deeply grateful for all the efforts that you've been championing Um, to our listeners. Remember to check out your green portal for the podcast and blog of this show And we hope you tune in next week as we wrap up this series and discuss water within the realm of climate change and resiliency. So until then, stay healthy, stay engaged, and thanks for listening. That's all for this edition of Green City. I'm Lene Marty Henson, and I hope you continue to listen in on these conversations focused on the broad realm of sustainability. I truly believe that we go further faster when we come together to have real dialogue, inspiring us toward practical solutions. Let's continue to learn from each other how best to nurture this precious planet we call home. Thanks for listening.
1: We are truly grateful.